0: You're listening to a podcast from Trinity Church Aldgate, Morning Devotions, brought to you by Senior Pastor Chris Jolliffe. Hello, it's good to see you, and we are in Mark 14, so if you grab your Bibles and have a look. Um, The idea here is that I'm going to just take us through some of the moments leading up to Jesus' uh, death on the cross uh, in this next week. And um, today, really, there are three little scenes and each of them has massive relational pain for Jesus. Um, That's really what links them aside from the fact that they're all in the story but they each also contain a surprise or two. So we'll begin Mark 14, verse 27 to 31. is the first one. This is where Jesus predicts Peter's denial. Uh, You will all fall away, Jesus told his disciples, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the disciples said the same. So here is the first scene. And of course, it's got massive relational um, hurt for Jesus, uh, because you've got big hearted Peter and uh, so. I so respect him, hes so He's so human, he's so honest, uh, who vows that he will never um, leave Jesus, and then all of the other disciples uh, chime in and say the same. I guess if if you're a follower of Jesus out there, um, most of us will know that there's a time when you know you've sincerely and wholeheartedly sworn undying allegiance to Jesus and that you would never leave him. And yet you'll also know, if you're honest, that there are times in your life, uh, certainly by actions, if not by words or thought, that you have denied him. So you'll be able to relate to Jesus. Um, so there's the first relational pain vignette, if you like. This next is in Gethsemane. Then they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then once more he went away and prayed the same thing. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting enough? The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is a moment of enormous pain for Jesus, isn't it? I mean, he's pouring his soul out to his heavenly Father, um, and the prayer is so, so instructive. In one way, you know, if if we're flippant, we might think, "What's the big deal, Jesus?" If any of us had to give our lives for the salvation of the world, surely we'd do it. Why don't you just go into the fray boldly, you know, like the Anzacs did at Gallipoli or something like that. That, of course, is uh, fickle. That's not to really understand what he's having to do. When he prays, take this cup from me, of course, the cup refers to the prophetic cup of God's wrath, which... God would pour out on the nations. It's mentioned in Isaiah 25. It's mentioned in Jeremiah. Sorry, Isaiah 51 and Jeremiah 25. And this is um, the cup that God was going to pour out in judgment upon the nations. And here, he's actually saying, no, I'm going to drink it. Well, that was the plan. But face to face with this plan of redemption and the moment, the hour that's now drawn near, He just thinks I can't do it or it's seeming uh, to be overwhelming for him. So he he prays that the cup be taken away. It's a very human moment, isn't it? Very human. So um, here is Jesus. He's God, the son. He is praying this very, very human prayer of desperation to God, his heavenly father. And... um, It's relational pain, really. So in the first vignette, you've got Jesus saying, you're going to fall away, guys. And Peter saying, no, I won't, no, I won't. And everyone else saying, no, I won't, no, I won't. Massively relationally fraught. Here you've got another moment of relational pain as Jesus is pouring out his soul to his heavenly father, praying that this cup of God's wrath, which he has to drink, would actually be taken from him. And then, of course, um, is the moment of betrayal. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders. The betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Um, They had to arrange some sort of signal. There were no streetlights in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was night, it was dark, and um, forms, shadows, would have been able to be discerned amongst the trees in the olive groves, but which one was Jesus, the temple guards wouldn't have known. There was no Facebook uh, that they could look up Jesus' identity on. So Judas, who knew Jesus, arranged to betray him with a kiss. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. That is so painful, isn't it? I mean, to betray your leader, your your master, your ruler with a kiss. And it really shows the depths of Judas's hypocrisy. He's the true hypocrite at this point, pretending to be a friend, being anything but. And for Judas to do that, you think there's there's not much... conflict really in his soul at this point. He's just, he's sold out completely. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. And then in contrast to Judas, you have Peter, one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts. You did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled and then everyone deserted him and fled. And then we think Mark, the author of the gospel, adds his own embarrassing, humiliating um, signature. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his, ga- leaving his garment behind. Only Mark has this account. And uh, therefore, people have thought most likely it's Mark. It's his way of Saying, yes, I was there, I was a witness, but don't make too much of me. I fled as well. So you've got three scenes, and they are all moments of relational pain. The uh, Jesus predicting the disciples will fall away. And when Peter objects, Jesus having to say, no, Peter, you're going to disown me three times before the night is out. Then you've got Jesus praying in agony of soul to God, his heavenly Father. And then you've got Jesus being betrayed in the garden, betrayed with a kiss. Three moments of immense relational pain for Jesus. Where do they leave Jesus? They leave Jesus entirely alone. So he's alone. Um, His disciples have fled. So he predicts, verse 27, you will all fall away. And then in verse fifty. Everyone deserted him and fled. It happened just as he said. Um, You might think, well, at least God is with him. Except, of course, in the garden, you have this moment when God the Son is praying the most honest, ardent, earnest, open, desperate prayer to his Father that he has ever prayed before. And remember that God the Son has existed forever with the Father before Jesus was born. He was pre-incarnate. He was existing with his Father without body in heaven. And they had been there when the world was made. They had made it together. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was over the waters. So there's God the Spirit. And God said, and "There's the Word of God. Um, this is this is uh, God the Son, uh, John chapter one verse one. Um, uh, what does it say? In the beginning uh, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's the Word. So the Trinity is there right at the beginning. They had made the world together. They had formulated the plans of redemption together in Ephesians one before the creation of the world. God." Planned to save us in Christ. And yet, he's come to the point, that moment of redemption, and it's like it's too much. And he prays the most, in one way, personal prayer of need, but it's so selfless. So, Father, if possible, may this hour go. If possible, take this cup from me. Now, given the closeness of intimacy that they had enjoyed and that Jesus was realising now he he was going to have to drink the dregs of the wrath of God against the nations, none of us have any any real insight into what he went through and what the agony of soul was like. Take this cup from me, and but it's such a selfless prayer. Yet not what I will, but what you, your will, be done. Um, Jesus isn't being just religious. He's not. This isn't a pious formula. It's not a platitude. He really, deeply wants for what his Father wants to happen. That's his chief desire, even more than to be saved from this moment. Now you'd think that if God the Father ever had a moment when he would have been so proud of his son, and we know he's proud right Remember because there's three times in the Gospels where God the Father, he kind of kicks open the trapdoor of heaven and yells out, "This is my son in whom I take delight, I'm well pleased in him." And uh, that was at his baptism, at his Transfiguration and in John chapter 12, three times. Uh, the father yells out audibly from heaven, just take delight in my son. He's so proud. And therefore he would have wanted to, you know, to answer his son's every prayer. And here was the son praying the most needy prayer, but selfless at the same time. And if any mom- there was any moment for the father to be proud of his son and to want to answer his prayer, this was it. And yet this was the moment Where from heaven the answer is silence. So here is the moment where the Father says no to the Son in his need. He says yes to the Son in doing the Father's will. Now you think, why? Is this sort of cosmic child abuse? No, because the son said, not what I will, but what you will. He voluntarily entered into it. It was their plan together. Um, And the son could have chosen not to go through with it. It's not cosmic child abuse, but why did the father say no? Jesus himself told us, didn't he? John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world. There's the answer. God so loved the world. He so loved Australia. He so loved Kiribati. Hello, Ariran. He so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that's the answer. So this moment of immense emotional pain and relational pain and He's, what happens with the disciples after that just shows uh, Jesus' selflessness again. Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Now we think, what are they keeping watching for? Um, the answer, I think, is that they uh, they needed to guard themselves. So Jesus, you remember, likened himself to a shepherd and his disciples to a sheep. He knew from Zechariah chapter 13 um that God was going to strike the shepherd and the sheep would be scattered he was concerned for the sheep and all along he's known that he's going to be arrested this night. he knows this has happened this is going to happen uh, he knows the hour is at hand it's no longer days it's now hours and uh, he's concerned that, uh, that he wouldn't lose none of those that he is um. That, that he's been looking after the disciples. And so he's been keeping watch, and no doubt he's been keeping watch as he's gone up the Mount of Olives into the Garden of Gethsemane. But there's this moment in Gethsemane when he needs to be on his knees and pray and pour out his soul to his heavenly Father. He can't keep watch. And so he just says to three of them, his three most trusted, closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, uh, watch. Watch. Stay awake, watch, and pray that you won't fall into temptation the temptation to deny Jesus and to run away. Keep watch. And then he goes back and he checks on them. So he's in the middle of this prayer and then he goes back and checks on them. Then he goes back and prays. He goes back and checks on them again. He goes back and prays. So while he's praying his most desperate, needed personal prayer, he's checking up on his disciples. He's being the shepherd looking after them. And what's upsetting him is that they're falling asleep on the job right at the moment when they need not to. So when he says in verse 41, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. You know, we wonder what tone did he say that in? Are you still sleeping and resting? You know, is he really angry or is he um, just exasperated? I think he's exasperated. Enough, the hour has come. Look, The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. So it's like he's looking just across the grove and now he can see Judas with the soldiers coming towards him. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. He's not saying to his disciples, quick, let's go, you know, face them head on. He's saying, no, 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 quick, let's go. Because Jesus was concerned that he, uh, none of the other disciples get arrested, get interrogated, get, um, you know, um, lost because of him. So let's go. Here comes my betrayer. But just as he was speaking, it's too late. Judas, one of the twelve, appears and they're all there together in the melee. Now, the surprises in each passage from verse twenty seven to thirty one, when Jesus predicts Peter's denial. The surprise is why Jesus says it will happen. You'll all fall away. Why? Here's what he doesn't say, and this is surprising. I would have expected him to say, because you are weak, you know, you're big-hearted, but you're weak. He doesn't say that. You will all fall away, for it is written. And then he quotes Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Um, now, in that part of Zechariah, it, it speaks much of what happens in Jesus' death. So Judas's 30 silver coins, which he throws into the temple, it's spoken of in Zechariah chapter 11. Um, there, it's in the beginning of chapter 13, uh, God will cleanse the sins of the land in one day. Um, God will change people's hearts. They will look on me, the one they have pierced. And. Um, And the end result is that God himself will be their shepherd. So Zechariah has a lot to say about Jesus' death. But um, it's interesting. The reason why the disciples would fall away is because it's written. And later on, uh, Jesus, when he is arrested, he says, every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts. You didn't arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. That is... He knows that all that's happening is part of a bigger plan of God um, that um, that has been laid for a long time, and it must happen. Not just because God's inflexible or something like that. Uh, God isn't inflexible. But because, no, 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 this is the only way to achieve redemption for the nations of the world. Now, how's it going to happen? For it is written... I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So God himself is going to strike the shepherd. Remember how I said three scenes of relational pain. Where does it leave Jesus at the end? It leaves him alone. And you think, oh, at least he has got his heavenly father, even if the disciples have gone. But Jesus has poured out his soul to his father and he's heard silence. And then, of course, he, he gets struck later on by the soldiers. Well, we know from Zechariah 13 that it's not just the soldiers that are going to strike Jesus. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, says God. Jesus is going to have to endure being struck by his heavenly Father. This is the cup of wrath which he is going to drink. So... That's the surprise. Uh, In the first vignette, the reason why the disciples will fall away is because God himself will strike the shepherd and when the shepherd is struck, the sheep scatter. The second surprise in Gethsemane, well, I um, I think it's that here you have God the Son praying to God the Father, his most honest, earnest, ardent prayer and gets the answer, no, and yet Jesus is still caring for his sheep. You know, um, the twin sides that you see of Jesus, his divinity and his humanity in Gethsemane, um, they are necessary if if the atonement's gonna work. You see, he has to be fully human and his humanity comes out here, doesn't he? He's, he's facing the cross and he doesn't wanna go through with it. And he's praying that the cup be taken away. He's fully human. And he therefore can relate to the disciples. Um, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He knows what it's like to have weak flesh. Um, He has to be fully human, of course, for the atonement to work. Because on the cross, what happens is he represents people, he dies in the place of people. He doesn't die in the place of angels or of, um, you know, superhumans Uh, if he was just a superhuman or an angel, not a weak human, then he wouldn't represent weak humans on the cross. He would die in the place of superhumans or angels. So he has to be fully human for him, for the atonement to work. But he also has to be divine. I mean, if he wasn't divine, if he was fully human, a perfect human being, a sinless human, how many people would he atone for on the cross? Well, the answer is one. You've got one sinless human life atoning for the sins of one guilty person. Well, that's great for that person, but what about the rest of us? Uh, You have to have someone who's not only fully human, but God, the precious son of God. And he, therefore, is able to give his human life, but a life that's so precious that he pays for the sins of the world. Um, The surprise in the third vignette, well, what is it? Is it Judas's absolute hypocrisy at betraying Jesus with a kiss? I don't think so. I think we know how deeply flawed we are as people and capable of that. Though Jesus, uh, Judas shows us what we're like at our worst. Um, I think the surprise is that again Jesus comes back in verse fifty and says, uh, verse forty-nine, and says, "Scriptures must be fulfilled." Um, that Greek word is a little word, day, D-E-I, day. And it's a small word, but it's got a lot of force. And it's the idea is this must happen. It's a divine word. Uh, this must happen. It's going to happen. The plan is rolling out. This has to happen. And um, the scriptures must be fulfilled. And everyone deserted him and fled. So at the end of this, we have Jesus having been deserted by his disciples he knows his father is going to strike him. His father hasn't answered his prayer. And even Peter, Peter has fled. He will follow a bit. We'll get to that tomorrow. But then he'll deny him three times. He is alone. Uh, Good Friday. We're going to look at um, these passages and, and think of uh, the topic. Is why so alone. And that just connects with everyone isolated alone Uh, jesus was alone and he had to be alone no one else could go through what he went through only he was the sinless human being who was divine who could make atonement only he only he could drink that cup and i'm so glad he did because what it means is that when you or i face the day of judgment because jesus has done this those who are marked out with his blood, those who trust in him, who cling to his death. There is no anger left. There's no anger left in God. It's all there. He's drunk and dry. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so humbled when we think of what Jesus went through, how he was betrayed by the hands of sinners. Um, you struck him. He struck the shepherd, the sheep were scattered. Jesus, who poured out his soul in Gethsemane and yet was selfless and was even concerned to protect his disciples at that time, his moment of greatest need. What a wonderful Saviour. We praise you that he who is fully divine and human gave his life. And went to a place of loneliness and utter abandonment that none of us can fully comprehend. And yet he did it to drink that cup and he drunk it down to its dregs and all your anger was poured out on him instead of us. And we praise you because atonement has been made. He turned away your anger. Father in heaven, uh, is it right to think thank you for Judas? I don't know. I don't think so. The one doomed to destruction. But I praise you for Jesus' fortitude that though he was treated so badly, so terribly, he held his course. Father in heaven, as we uh, come up to Good Friday, we pray that We would love Jesus more and appreciate him more and cling to the cross, not thinking of it as a trite, sort of easy option for free forgiveness and cheap grace, but a massively costly um, expenditure of divine love so that we could be forgiven and redeemed completely. Transform our hearts and may we look on him, the one who was pierced, and mourn, but rejoice that he was risen from the dead too. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook or leave a review or comments either on Facebook or on our website, www.trinity.church forward Aldgate.